You are now listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week, we continue our journey through John's gospel with the message, The Pursuit of All Pursuits, from John 19, 16 through 30. Let's listen in. If you um, drive to Yosemite National Park from the south, you will enter the park soon after you leave Oakhurst, California on the Highway 41. But the hub of the park is Yosemite Valley, which is about an hour's drive from Oakhurst. And the drive from Oakhurst up to Yosemite Valley is a drive up into the Sierra Nevada mountains. And there's a lot of ups and downs and winding around, as you would expect in mountain driving. But the scenery is just beautiful all the way up, in spite of areas that have been burned by wildfires in the past. It's just intriguing to see that area. And for some reason, as we were driving, Judy kept telling me, keep my eyes on the road. She would do the watching and the looking, just keep your eyes on the road. Well, after about an hour of driving, we came to a tunnel, a tunnel that runs through a mountain. And of course, there are signs there that warn you to turn your headlights on because of the darkness of the tunnel. But as you're going through that dark tunnel, you see the the light up ahead of you. And immediately on exiting the tunnel, there is a parking lot there, another overlook where people can pull off and take in the scenery. And we did that. We stopped and we got out and we looked around and it hit us. This is it. Before us was our destination. There was El Capitan. There is Bridal Veil Fall. There is... All of the things that you've seen in the brochure, there is the expanse of Yosemite Valley. You've probably seen a picture of that because it has been captured so many times. And, and um, it, it was just amazing that here was our destination right in front of us. An absolutely stunning view was waiting for us, but we had to go through the tunnel first. On that route, you have to go through the tunnel before you see Yosemite Valley. Well, as we've been on our journey through John's Gospel, our scenery has been changing the last few weeks. And today will be like going into a dark tunnel as we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus and his death. And we'll remain in the tunnel next week as we talk about his burial. But then is John 20 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're having a second Easter in our journey of John's gospel. But we can't get to the resurrection without first going through the crucifixion. It's impossible. It's impossible to do. This passage today reminds us that the life everyone seeks is possible. 
And it's possible because of the pursuit of all pursuits. The life that everyone in this world wants and seeks is possible because of the pursuit of all pursuits. All four of the gospel writers give brief descriptions of Jesus' crucifixion, sparing us the gruesome details of such a horrendous death. And in this passage, this section of of the narrative, John gives us five snippets, I'll call them, of truth. Five snippets about the crucifixion. And I'll mention them, but we'll focus mostly on the last one in verses 28 through 30, the death of Jesus. But first of all, the, the custom for a Roman crucifixion was that the condemned man would carry his own cross, or at least the cross beam, to the place of the execution. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Now Jesus, you know, was absolutely innocent of all the charges, yet he was dying a condemned man's death, carrying his own cross beam to the place that he would be crucified. John tells us that there were two other men who were crucified with him, one on either side and Jesus in the middle. And that in itself is an image of Jesus being the divining line of all mankind. Because one of those men believed, the other didn't. Jesus was in between both of them. That's the way mankind will be. Some will believe, others won't. So John tells us about that. But then secondly, John mentions the sign that Pilate prepared for Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. He knew that would irritate the Jews. And so maybe this was a little bit of a revenge on the Jews, the Jewish leaders forcing him to crucify Jesus. But the condemned man's name would be put on a sign and the offense clearly displayed so that those that were passing by would be deterred from doing the same thing. So they did it kind of as a a determent. But it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Being Passover, there would be thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem. So all of those people would know who this Jesus was. And then John moves on. He tells us about the soldiers dividing Jesus' clothes, which was a perk for the soldiers working a crucifixion. They divided up Jesus' clothes and they cast lots for the best garment, the inner garment, the seamless inner garment of Jesus, which is a fulfillment of Psalm 22, 8. And then John tells us about the four women who were at the foot of the cross of Jesus, including Jesus' own mother, But think about the courage of those women who were there risking being identified with the condemned man. Indeed, love casts out all fear. And they were there because of their love for Jesus. And then the fifth snippet of truth in verses 28 through 30. John gives us four short sentences about the death of the Son of God. Now, Jesus was pursuing something. What was it? And at what cost was he pursuing it? And to what end did he pursue it? And those are the three points I want us to consider today. What Jesus pursued, the cost of his pursuit, and what his pursuit accomplished. 
first of all, what Jesus pursued. Look at verse 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been fulfilled, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So John leaves out all the gory details of the crucifixion, and he just says, later, later. Kind of at the end of it all, Jesus knew that everything had now been finished. What had been finished? Well, his purpose in coming had been finished. If there was ever anyone in the world who knew their purpose in life, Jesus Christ did. He knew without a doubt his purpose in life. John makes it clear early on in his gospel why Jesus came. He came to be a sacrifice. Jesus even said that God would be glorified in his crucifixion. So he came to die as an atonement for sin. So we could say that Jesus came to earth and pursued the cross and the cross consumed him. Have you ever noticed a lot of things that we pursue consume us? Whether that's a negative thing or a positive thing, the thing that we pursue most consumes us. So we could say Jesus came to earth, pursued the cross, and the cross consumed him. And while that's true, that's not what Jesus was ultimately pursuing. Jesus came into this world out of obedience to his Father. And while he was in the world, he lived in perfect obedience to his Father. And he died pursuing the will of the Father. That's how he died, pursuing God's will, which is that no one should perish. God's will is that no one should perish. And Jesus came to provide the only way to fulfill God's will, that no one should perish. So Jesus was pursuing the will of his Father, and the cross was just in the path of that obedience. He kept pursuing God's will in spite of the cross. And so he was pursuing the will of the Father. Secondly, the cost of his pursuit. At the end of verse 28, Jesus said, I am thirsty, or I thirst. Think back to what Jesus had already been through at this point. He had been bound, he had been punched, he had been slapped, he had been scourged. He had had a thorn of crowns jammed on his head. He had been scourged again. His hands and feet were nailed to a cross and he had been left on a pole to die. And during all of that, he never complained. He never said, ouch. He never said, I'm uncomfortable. He never complained about his physical discomfort. So why would he start now in saying, I thirst? Because his thirst was deeper than a physical thirst. I'm sure he was thirsty. After going through all that, just the dehydration of the scourging. So I'm sure he was physically thirsty, but he was thirsty in a different way. Thirst is often used in the Bible as a metaphor for a spiritual condition for people who are far from God, being thirsty. His thirst is a fulfillment of Psalm 69 and also of Psalm 22 that says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. 
My mouth is dried up and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And I think it's significant too that Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which Matthew said Jesus had just said prior to this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pursuit of God's will cost Jesus his life to be sure, but it also cost him an interruption of his eternal fellowship with God for a time. That's what it cost him. An interruption in the eternal fellowship with God. As C.S. Lewis said, the dance of the Trinity had been halted. It had been stopped when Jesus became sin for the whole world, including your sin, and God turned his face away from Jesus. See, the greater the love, the greater the hurt when that love is disrupted through the circumstances of life. And we are talking about an eternal love. The greater the love, the greater the hurt. You've experienced that in your own life. When someone has betrayed you, or you've lost family or friends to death, that hurts because of your great love for that individual. You've also experienced physical thirst. As you're out in the yard working in South Georgia in this heat, you can't help but get thirsty. And we've all experienced physical thirst. But there's something your soul needs more than your body needs water. And that is the presence of God. And He made us that way. And our soul longs for the presence of God just like our body longs for water. And nothing quenches thirst like that water. Nothing quenches spiritual thirst like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Nothing does. For the first time in eternity, Jesus lost the presence of God the Father. And he thirsted for it. That's why he said, I thirst. Well, the third thing, what his pursuit accomplished Jesus was pursuing his father's will. That pursuit cost him a temporary loss of fellowship with God and it cost him ultimately his life. But don't ever forget what his obedience accomplished. Look at verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He told the thief that believed on his right today, you will be with me in paradise. Another gospel writer says that into your hands I commit my spirit. So that relationship briefly torn away was restored. No one murdered Jesus. No one took his life. He gave his life willingly as a substitute for our life. A substitute for your life. Don't just read this as a historical document. He did this for you and for me. The plan of redemption was finally and fully accomplished. It is finished. Nothing else to be done ever. 
nothing is done. There is nothing for you to do to be saved because Jesus has already done it. It's just yours to trust what he did because he has done it. And because Jesus pursued God's will and paid the cost of his will, you can have life with God. You can have perfect life with God. That's offered to everyone, but not everyone will receive it. See, on the cross, Jesus experienced a spiritual death. He experienced hell so that you and I would never have to. And no one would ever have to if they would just believe and trust what Jesus did. Jesus' pursuit is indeed the pursuit of all pursuits. Could there possibly be a greater pursuit than that? Yes. And you know what that is? God's pursuit of you. God's pursuit of you. From the beginning of creation, God has been pursuing relationship with mankind. And that's what the Bible is all about. It's one story of a loving God reaching out for people to reconcile those people as well as all creation to himself. God pursues us. He pursues you. So to the degree to which you understand that the sovereign God of all the universe, the sovereign God of the universe, the creator of everything that is, sent Jesus into the world to die for your sinful self and to have fellowship with you, the degree that you understand that is the degree to which you understand what Christianity is all about. It's not about your goodness because you have no goodness. It's all about the goodness of Jesus Christ and the plan of God to send him in order to redeem you. And, and, and if we accept that, like the one thief did, the relationship with God is for eternal life. But that eternal life begins right now. It begins right now. It's not just something off in your future. Eternal life for the believer begins right now. I began telling you about our trip into Yosemite. Let that be a metaphor for your life in this world. One day, you will go through the very real tunnel of death. But because of Jesus, that will only be like sleep. You will not go through what Jesus went through in his death because of what Jesus did. Your death will only be like sleep because of Christ. And then you'll exit the tunnel and you'll see the kingdom of God and it'll make Yosemite look like a dump. Are you looking forward to that? And are you living like you already have that in your future? See, the journey with God starts before the tunnel. It's before you get to the point of death. It starts right now. Judy and I had a great time on that trip before we got to the tunnel. All the way up. We saw the potholes. We saw the places that were burned by wildfires. We saw the winding in and out, up and down. That's the way life is. Trouble comes in this life. 
But we had a great time going through all of that. So why not have a great time going through the life that God has given you to live? It was in the song that we sang, The Power of the Cross. He's given you this for the life to live. Live your life. And that's the way our lives should be. Love God and enjoy the ride with Him. Love God and enjoy the ride. He's taking care of everything. And when you come to the crosses in the road and when you come to that ultimate tunnel, drive through and enjoy your destination. Isn't that what God's Word teaches us? Then are we living that way? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has planned for those who love Him. Do you love Him? Then live like it. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Your Word, how it teaches us who You are, how it teaches us who we are, and what you have done for us in Jesus. And Father, I realize every time that we meet, there may be people who have never consciously admitted their sin and accepted what Christ has done to remove that sin. So I pray by your Spirit that you would open eyes, open hearts, open minds to your truth. And then, Lord, for all of us, help us to walk and live our lives as though we believe that you are walking right with us and that you have taken care of every trouble that will come into our path. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to know more about how you can pursue Jesus and what that looks like for you, we would love to help you with that. You can find our contact information in the show notes down below or on our website at fbcamericas.org. And tune in next week as we continue our journey through John's Gospel.